Welcome to First United Methodist Church's worship service. We are a church that strives to know God, love God, and serve God. We are one church with two locations. The Whitmore Lake Campus is located at the corner of Main Street and East Shore Drive at 9318 Main Street in Whitmore Lake, Michigan. The Brighton Campus is located at the intersection of Brighton Lake Road and Grand River Avenue at 400 East Grand River Avenue in Brighton, Michigan. Please visit us online at brightonfumc.org to learn about in-person worship times at both locations. Worship will begin shortly. We are glad that you are with us. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Reverend John Reynolds. Welcome to First United Methodist Church of Brighton and Whitmore Lake. We're so glad that you decided to make this your spiritual home for worship this morning. If this is your first Sunday with us, we're glad that you decided to join us. And if you've been here for a long time, we're grateful to have you here with us as well. We're a church that's striving to help people know God, love God, and serve God. And we hope that something that we say or pray or sing together will help you grow in your faith and your relationship with Jesus Christ. Hopefully on your way in today, you were handed a connection card. We would love for you to take a moment to fill that out. If you have a chance, let us know that you're here. There's a variety of ministry opportunities that we would love to plug you into on the back side of that card. We encourage you to fill that out and uh, stick it in the offering plate a little bit later on in the service when that goes by. Uh, In addition to that, in the pew back in front of you, there are yellow prayer cards. If there's anything that we can be praying for you or alongside you uh, for or about maybe a friend or neighbor, perhaps yourself, maybe a family member, we encourage you to take a moment to fill that out. We feel honored to be praying over those cards as they come in uh, as a a clergy team. We encourage you to fill those out and get those back to us if you would like us to be praying alongside you for anything uh, that's going on in your life. In addition to that, I wanted to share with you just a couple of announcements. Uh, Many of you know that a couple of years ago, our church started a dental clinic, uh, the Vena Dental Clinic. It's right here on our campus, uh, right across the street, actually, our parking lot. And uh, they're doing a fundraiser. Uh, They're actually doing a throwback prom. Their tickets are $125 each. It's a fundraiser to help us serve folks in our community who struggle to have access to good dental care. It is Saturday, March 11th. And the tickets include dinner, dancing, a silent auction, a wine pull, jewelry, lottery, and tree, tree raffles, a corsage or boutonniere. Uh, purchases are available on the Vena website. We encourage you to go to Vena's website and sign up for that ticket uh, and, and get your ticket as soon as possible if you're interested in supporting their great mission and their great work. Uh, if you weren't here last week, uh, we had a wonderful Camp Sunday. You might have noticed on your way in the door, there's a bulletin board just outside the sanctuary in the community room. If you take one of those envelopes, and there are envelopes available anywhere from $2 all the way up to $100, you'll be helping to sponsor a kid going to camp this summer. Uh, We encourage you to take one of those. If you do, you're encouraged to fill out a postcard, send it to a kid that's going to camp. They'll write you a letter back from camp so that you get to hear from them as well. We encourage you to take an envelope so that you can be a part of that bi-directional connection and relationship with some of our campers this summer. Finally, uh, if you weren't uh, here last week, we're going to be starting Lenten studies. If you might be already a part of a Lent study that's meeting uh, throughout the week, we encourage you to pick up those books. They're in the community room uh, available after worship. If you'd like to join a Lent study, we'd love to have you uh, with us along the journey as we examine the seven last words of Jesus. And uh, with that, I encourage you to stand as you're able and join us in our opening hymn. It's 378, Amazing Grace. We'll sing verses 1, 2, and 3. Let us stand and sing unto the Lord. 
you join me in the opening prayer? Lord, we gather in worship, singing praise and praying for your endless mercy. Help us to accept the forgiveness you offer at the foot of the cross. Help us to forgive others as easily as you have shown mercy to us. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is Luke 23, verses 32 through 34. Two others also who are criminals were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks so much, Bob, for sharing our scripture this morning. I invite you to join me now in a time of prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth 
and the meditations of all of our hearts be measured and found acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer and the one who calls us to forgive. Amen. Well, we're beginning a new sermon series about the seven last words that Jesus shared, the seven last phrases that he uttered on his way to his final moments here on earth. We're looking into a a study, actually, for a variety of reasons. Pastor Lindsay and I were on this sort of Adam Hamilton kick for Lent and Advent studies. Some of you have been taking those studies, and so you know that we've been reading Adam Hamilton books for quite some time, and we thought, you know, they're like there actually are other voices out there besides Adam Hamilton. He's great. We appreciate him. But we decided to pick this study by Susan Robb, and she's been writing, she wrote this book about the seven last words of Jesus, and they've really provided a lot of insight into the things that Jesus said in his final moments. And some of these phrases probably are pretty familiar uh, for you, and maybe some of them are not so familiar, but there's, um, there are seven phrases that Jesus said uh, right before he passed away. A father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, which Bob just read. Uh, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Woman, behold thy son, behold thy mother. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I thirst, it is finished. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And over the next six weeks, we'll be looking at, during our Lenten journey, these seven last words of Jesus, which we realize that will probably put us as a church on the cross, essentially, or right next to the cross for the next six weeks. So prepare yourself for some theological heavy lifting over the next couple of weeks, because we're going to be there with Jesus, listening to the words that he shared. I believe that when we're on the verge of our last couple of moments, we oftentimes say things that matter. We don't tend to say like, you know, how's the weather outside or did the lions win? You know, I, I, we, don't, we don't tend to, to talk about things that are trivial. We tend to say things that are of the utmost importance or maybe things that are deeply personal to us. We can look back into history at some famous people and what they said before they passed away as a source of inspiration for this. Um, Harriet Tubman, as she was about to pass away, I'm sure you can imagine what she might have said or the last words that were on her lips. She gathered all of her close family and friends together, and she's said to have said, swing low, sweet chariot, one more time. Winston Churchill, after all the things that he had been through at the very end of his life, he said, I'm bored with it all, and that was it. (laughs) Kind of interesting. Steve Jobs, as he was closing his eyes for his last time, is said to have uttered the phrase, oh wow, oh wow, oh wow. Thomas Elva Edison said, it's beautiful over there. Emily Dickinson said, I must go in, the fog is rising. Perhaps you remember this in the famous Star Trek um, movie, uh, two. Are some of you with me? Are you, is anybody else Trekkie fans in here besides me? Spock is looking at Captain Kirk through that like glass window, and he said, I have always been and will always be your closest friend. Live long and prosper. You know, that was like the send-off in that particular movie. If you remember William Wallace, like uh, the last moment of Braveheart, he's being like literally destroyed in front of everybody, and he just yells with his last breath, Freedom! Sorry, I just had to. That was fun for me. I don't know if it was fun for you, but... um, And Saving Private Ryan, one of the last phrases, you know, uh, is, earn this, James. Earn this. Earn this second life that you have. And then there's another guy, um, William Hartley, who's on board of the Titanic. Remember the quartet that's 
playing their strings in the very last moment as the ship goes down. And he says, gentlemen, it's been an honor, a privilege playing with you tonight. Or you can remember Mercutio, you know, in his last moment, he's like, a plague on both your houses as he goes down in a blaze of glory in his last moments. Regardless, the last things that we say before we die, they don't tend to be trivial. And with Jesus, the same thing is true. Jesus standing there on the cross, you can imagine him, him being crucified, right? The prison guard is standing there right with him, and they're getting ready to crucify him, and Jesus looks them in the eyes, and instead of being angry, which I imagine I would if I was being crucified, instead of being bitter or resentful, Jesus looks at his tormentors right in the eye, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they were doing. Anybody else? Like, that would be the first thing on your lips to say. Anybody, you know, like, with Jesus in that? I can't imagine myself having that kind of grace. Um, A couple of things about crucifixion. Number one, we oftentimes imagine that this was a unique thing, right? That Jesus was crucified, but this maybe wasn't normal. The reality is, if you can envision most of the Roman-occupied cities in the first century, when you walked into the town, it wouldn't have just been one cross or a handful of crosses, but literally the streets, as you walked into the ancient cities, would have just had cross after cross after cross after cross. And there would have been people on some of those crosses in later stages of life, perhaps dead, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, gasping all kinds of whatever. I imagine the words that were coming out of their, ni- their mouths were probably not friendly or kind or hope-filled, but, but you can imagine the streets just lined. And that was one of the ways that the Romans uh, encouraged people to, to be complicit with the rules and expectations that they had at the time. You could be crucified for a great myriad of things, but Jesus was being crucified, and instead of uttering those angry phrases that probably would have been on most of our hearts and minds, as you imagine, right, having stakes driven through your wrists or through your hands and through your bones and your legs, I I can't imagine that positive, encouraging, forgiving, grace-filled words would have been on the top of most of our minds. A couple of interesting things about this phrase. Throughout the gospel, it's clear to us that Jesus has the ability to forgive sins all on his own, right? Like he can do it all by himself. But in this moment, he says something that I think is kind of interesting. He's talking to his dad in heaven, God in heaven. He looks up and he says, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. In this moment, Jesus offers a prayer on behalf of these people who are tormenting him and says, forgive them, God. And and one might ask the question, why is it that Jesus would ask God to forgive him when Jesus has the ability to forgive all on his own? And there's a couple of different reasons, perhaps, that, that authors and theologians give for this. In this particular moment, Jesus is looking up to the sky, to God, to forgive these tormentors, these people that are hurting, because it's one of the ways that that people who are being victimized can take power and authority over their tormentors. And here's what I mean by this. Jesus, in this moment, as he's feeling all the agony and pain, is able to supersede all of the power that these Roman soldiers think that they're taking over him by crucifying him to the cross. And he's like, you think you get to have the last word? Watch this. I'm going to to double up on you, and I'm going to repay your violence with an act of grace. I'm going to forgive you while you're committing this atrocious act so that while you're laying in your bed later on this evening, you'll be thinking like, what is with this guy? 
and you think you took power over me. Instead, I'm going to take ultimate power over you, not by cursing you out, not by saying that Roman Empire is going to fall and be destroyed. Instead of that, I'm going to repay your violence with an act of forgiveness. Why does he talk to God about it? I don't know. In that moment, interceding on behalf of the Roman guard is one of the ways that Jesus can take control over that situation and show for them and show for anybody else, all of the other people who are gathered around the cross, an opportunity to respond to violence with love. And gosh, I feel like the world could use more of that these days. When so often we're so eager to repay violence with violence. I don't think I've been here, you know, but we, we like shot down all these floating balloons in the sky a couple of weeks ago. We were really excited to use our Sidewinder missiles. And, you know, we were, we were all charged up about that as a nation. But there was a part of me that, you know, just was like, I feel like the world is getting a little warmer a couple weeks ago when Vladimir Putin announced that he was willing to renounce one of the last nuclear treaties that exists between the United States and Russia, I just keep thinking, let's stop playing around with this stuff. Because it's far too easy when somebody hits the button for the other person to hit the button, and then we just destroy ourselves. You all know that we have enough nuclear weapons in our arsenal to destroy the world like seven times over. And in this moment, when Jesus is suffering, I imagine to be like one of the most agonizing ways a person could die. Instead of repaying violence with violence, instead of praying ill or, or malice upon his tormentors, he repays them with this act of unimaginable grace. And, and I just think the world could use more of that because we're all drivers, you know? Like, and when somebody cuts us off, the answer to that is not to raise the temperature by exchanging nonverbal gestures or cutting them off. When somebody does wrong to you, it's not necessarily a good idea to do wrong back to them. The other part of this phrase sort of goes unnoticed, I think. When Jesus says, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about the things that we don't realize that we're doing. Because sometimes I think we do things and we know we shouldn't and we feel bad about them. I remember when I was a kid, I stole my brother's quarters in the arcade. We were in the arcade and he left them on the, you know, the council. And I took them and I remember like my brother was onto it. He immediately reported to my dad. We got called into the principal's office. I apologized. That was a thing that I did that I knew was wrong and I got punished for it. Sometimes we do things that are wrong and that's just the reality. We get punished for it. But there are other times we don't realize what we're doing. We're just part of a system. We go through our life, we don't ever think about it, we're just doing what we are told to do. And maybe the Roman soldiers fell into that category, maybe they knew what they were doing was wrong, it's hard to say. But in the ancient world, I already told you there were crosses everywhere, and part of the way that the Romans punished people was just by putting them to death on the cross. Maybe they had no idea that they were crucifying God's son. A couple of years ago, I went to Israel, and while we were in Israel, we had an amazing time. If you're interested in going to Israel again, we're thinking about putting together, we are putting together actually a trip for next January. If you have any interest in going to the Holy Land, I highly recommend it. But after the trip to the Holy Land, we took a side trip to Egypt. And when we were in Egypt, I remember one of the first places that we went was to this factory that made carpets. Does anybody have carpets in their house? I remember going into this factory in Egypt 
and everyone was really excited because this factory not only made wonderful carpets, but they made wonderful carpets that were very affordable. They were excited to market the fact that they were affordable to all of these American tourists who got off the bus, went into the factory, and they were excited to let us know that we could sit with somebody while they were making these carpets. So that's exactly what we were all assigned to do. Some, some of us got to literally sit next to the machine, whatever it's called. Somebody could probably help me with how carpets are. Is it a loom? A loom. Thanks, Larry. So uh, they were sitting uh, next to me um, was this five-year-old kid. And as I sat down next to him, I almost could barely listen to anything that he was saying. This five-year-old was so excited to tell me about how he made carpets, but I couldn't get past the fact that he was five. And as I was talking to him, all I wanted to talk to him about was whether or not he played soccer or what he was learning in school. But of course, he wasn't learning anything in school. He was working in the factory making carpets. And I couldn't get past that. I mean, I was the seminarian, right? Like, at the time I was going to school at Garrett, and we were talking about global injustice, things that us Methodists, we care about this stuff. And I remember sitting next to this five-year-old, and he was telling me about, you know, how proud he was of the carpet that he was making, and my heart was just breaking because I was like, do you have any siblings? And he said, yeah, I've got five siblings. And he was telling me about his brothers and his sisters, and he said, you know, one of my siblings gets to go to school but the rest of us work you know just like I've told you about with my friends in Liberia so that we can send my brother to school and I remember sitting there literally hating the fact that the carpets that get shipped over to the United States from Egypt that come you know wherever they get sold I mean I, I you know I don't know you can look in the tag right and see exactly where a product comes from anywhere in the United States and we're excited. We're like, oh, this carpet is $5,000, but this carpet is only 250 And to me, every time I hear somebody say that, I always want to ask the question, well, why is it $250? And sometimes the answer might just be, well, somebody had a better product line. They were able to more efficiently deliver the goods to the market. Maybe that's true, but sometimes it's because we're able to find really, really cheap labor, and sometimes that really cheap labor is in the form of a five-year-old kid. And most of us don't know the whole story of where textiles go to get to our marketplace. Most of us don't track like every fiber of every article of clothing that we wear, but, but there are sometimes that that while I'm sitting next to the loom, thanks Larry for the support on that, and I look over at this five-year-old and I see that he's got band-aids all over his fingers because of different things that happen along the way, and I'm thinking to myself, man, you should be playing soccer. And I wish you were in school. And I find myself looking at some of the rugs inside my house just wondering, like, did any of my stuff come from that factory in Egypt or Maybe it wasn't that factory. Maybe it was another factory just in the next country over. Maybe it was a, a, a factory in Singapore, a factory, you know, in, in, in Hong Kong or wherever you might imagine finding the cheapest labor. And I find myself wrestling with the fact that maybe it's me too that Jesus needs to forgive because there are some times that what I'm doing, the choices that I make day in and day out are actually contributing to this larger thing in the world where this young five-year-old kid ends up working a loom in Egypt, and everybody's excited about how cheaply and how well-made these rugs are, except when you see it, 
You realize that you're a part of something that you're not fully aware of. And I think some of what Jesus said on the cross when he was looking down on these Roman soldiers is like, man, you guys are caught up in a system. And unless you take a step back and think like, gosh, it is heinous that to walk into a city to like get your bread or your fish or your milk or your cheese or whatever you might be buying in the marketplace, you have to walk by literally all of these crosses, all of these places where people could receive capital punishment as a result of, you know, anything from just like not paying your taxes to, you know, whatever Jesus was crucified, which was basically nothing. You have to walk past all of these crosses. You're caught up in a system that embraces violence, that embraces killing people for these kind of small crimes in an effort to keep everybody safe. And Jesus looks up to God and he says, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. And the question I want to ask you today is, and we're all part of it, you know, at some levels, and I, I like, and this is why, you know, when we do the pastoral prayer every once in a while, we're like, God, for the things that we did, I love to say this because I need this forgiveness too, for the things that we've done this last week that we wish we hadn't have done, and for the things that we didn't do that we know that we should have, forgive us. Because sometimes we, we don't even realize, we don't even think about it, but we're caught up in this thing that, that all I want to say is I think it could be better. Not to say that we can fix it all. Not to say that everything can be made right. Not to say that, you know, we're ultimately going to get someday to, to living here on earth exactly like we're supposed to live when we get to heaven. But, but I always wonder, like, could it be just a little bit better? Can we imagine, can we use our creativity to see a world that might be just a little bit better? Because I don't know about you, but I struggled in that moment sitting next to this kid who's Lydia's age, working the loom, making carpets that are really well made, but are really, really cheap. And in those moments, I imagine God looking down over all of us and saying, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. As we spend these next couple of weeks reflecting on Jesus' words, some of them are deep. You heard me read them. Some of them, you know, like, they're maybe not the most deep phrases in the entire world. But I hope that we can spend a couple of weeks focusing on Jesus' last words that you could also take a moment and think about what you would want to say if you had only a couple of moments left. What would your phrase, how would you define your life? What would you be most hopeful of in the life to come? What is the way that you would sum up your life if you only had a couple of words left to speak? What would your life be about? And I think about Harriet Tubman, all those times that she decided to go back into harm's way to rescue other folks, to bring them north on the Underground Railroad, to have her last words on this earth be, swing low, sweet chariot. And you know the words to that song and what they would have meant to her. Jesus was in the midst of being tormented. He said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And I hope as I close this message out that as you move through this next week, if there's anybody that you feel like you have to forgive, if there's anybody that you feel like you have to let go of some grudge that you've been holding on to, 
if there's anybody that every time their name gets mentioned, even if it's not like that person that's being referenced, but instantly, like you can feel your internal temperature rise. If there's anybody that, that just being in the same room, like you can feel your heart rate jump, it's not easy and it takes time. Usually it takes a process. But if there's any way that we can be helpful in helping you to forgive people, I believe that grace, forgiveness, especially in our spiritual tradition and the teachings of Jesus, is what helps the world keep spinning on its axis. Without it, we probably would just keep escalating violence over and over and over again. We just keep hurting each other. When somebody does this to me, I do it back to them. And then it gets like louder and louder. Anybody who's ever had kids knows exactly what I'm talking about. It starts with a look across the dinner table. Next thing you know, we're like kicking feet. And the next thing you know, there's like a shouting match across the table. Anybody with me on this? Like you've seen this unfold. Literally, it's how nation states end up at war and how mutually assured destruction, you know, is like almost inevitable. But Needless to say, I believe that there's a way. If Jesus was able to say these words in a moment of great agony, pain, and torment, then maybe we can forgive each other too. I pray that as you wrestle with what the last words would be in your life, how you would define or sum up your entire life mission here on this earth, that at least a part of the reason why you're here is to forgive other people. Because thanks be to God, we're all forgiven as well. Thanks be to God for God's unimaginable grace in all of our lives. Amen.
So I have no idea. I'm sure if I Googled that, I'd figure this out. But I have no idea why traditionally when we pray, we bow our head. Because for me, bowing my head is not necessarily the first motion that I think of when I want to pray. Let me, let me talk to you about why I thought about this when I was coming up with my prayer. So this week, the last couple of weeks, I learned about myself that I have multiple ways that I like to pray, and I'm not talking about like what I say, but I, I thought about that. Like, why do we bow our heads? I do that because that's what the tradition is. That's what people say commonly when they start a prayer is let's bow our heads and pray. But what about lifting your face up to God? I like to do that too. I like to get the feeling sometimes when we pray of just like basking in the word of God, especially when there's these lights up here in the front. I tend to like, ah, I'm doing that. But also I know we've done this here too is that sometimes I like to put my hands out because I feel like, I don't know, maybe he's throwing me the ball or something. I'm like, it's coming my way. I got to catch it. But I noticed that about myself is that sometimes I just, depending on what it is I'm praying for, that I just have different like body stances that I'm doing. And then I noticed that I had a particularly one too, a particular one that I do when I'm kind of hurting. So two weeks ago, this Monday, I was getting out of the bathtub, doing my ritual, getting ready for, ba for bed, and my mom texted me, and she said, your sister said there's an active shooter at Michigan State. Your nephew is, is good. He's safe. And I was stunned because I'm like, what? what what's going on? So I immediately was thankful but then I texted Lonnie because his daughter works across the street from the Union, um, across Grand River. So I'm like, was she, is she working? What's going on? So he needed to call. And that, so that after all of that, I immediately curled up in bed, threw the blankets over my head, curled up, and I started praying. And that kind of, after the fact, struck me as... That was kind of the comfortable position for me in praying at that point because I felt like I needed to like bring in all of my energy and strength and just shoot a message right to God. And that was my way of blocking everything out and getting the word right to God. So I say this today because I want to encourage us as we go through listening to my prayer to maybe break out of your comfort and explore one of these different ideas. Maybe not necessarily bowing your head down, but putting your, your face up toward God or putting your hands up to catch whatever message he's sending. So let's pray. Dear Father, as we start our prayers today, we send love and prayers of healing to the quilt recipients, Ron Kemp and Mary Waltz, Fill this fabric with your light and healing powers so that it will surround them when they wrap themselves with these quilts. We bow our heads and draw within for strength, for the strength that you have placed within us 
to plead for healing of others in need as you have the power to lift them up from sorrow, ill health, addiction, fear, and trauma. Events in life can be so overwhelming and leave us asking why and how. Leave us feeling like we want to curl up and hide from the outside world, but instead we curl up in prayer for healing. We ask for the healing of those harmed in the events at Michigan State, for the students and staff, the families, the state, and the nation. Hearts, minds, and souls are in need of healing, and we pray for your guidance and help in this. We are thankful that from the ashes of this assault arose the spirit of you to join us together and surround those victims and families with love and support. We lift our face up to you in awe for those moments that you fill us with love, faith, and hope for the future. Just as we move our faces toward the sun when it peeks out after a cold winter storm to let it beat down on us, we do this with your love to let it warm our spirits and souls. Thank you for the light that you give to us even in the darkest of times. Thank you for the people that you surround us with as a means of acting out your love for us in our lives. Thank you for those small moments that happen every day, a warm smile, a door held open for us, a wave, a text message, and thank you for those big moments as well. We hold our hands open to you as a way of showing that we are open for your guidance, that we are never at the end of our journeys that we are always looking toward you for wisdom and teaching. We hold our hands open in the hopes that you will put yours in those hands and that the hands of another in your name. That you remind us that we are not alone in our journey, but also to remind us that our hands are to be used in your name as well, to reach out to others for support, to be used as tools for expanding your kingdom. There are so many ways that we may pray throughout our day during the week and so many reasons that we pray. Guidance, relief, strength, answers, help, thankfulness, and hope. And when we get to Sunday during this time we get for a structured prayer, sometimes all the words just dissolve from our minds. Bring to us the words during our silent prayers to ask for what we need. If the words do not come, Help us to find comfort in a moment of silence, or to find soothing in the music, or perhaps to just be calm in the rhythm of our breathing as we sit with you for this moment of peace. And now let's join our voices in prayer, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Good morning. If you, morning. If I haven't met you, uh, my name's Charles Calvin, um, and my wife Megan Calvin is sitting over here in the green. Um, and I wanted to uh, 
come and speak with you all today uh, because we will be doing this year's quarterly uh, NOAA lunches. So if you don't know a little bit about me and Megan, Megan and I, I believe, that's how I should have said that, um, we have been involved over the years. God has called us to serve people who are food insecure. Um, we have history of working with uh, Feeding America with, through Gleaners. Uh, we put on charity softball events to raise money uh, for, for in food insecurity, as well as food drives in partnership with local churches. And when uh, Bill Draving asked us to um, help lead Noah's lunches going forward, uh, we felt like, well, obviously, God has given us this passion to feed others, to help feed others, and um, of course we're going to say yes. So we said yes. One thing I do want to point out is Bill did an amazing job. Um, through the years, his leadership in this mission has been outstanding. Uh, the last couple of years that Megan and I have been here, um, we've really appreciated his efforts. And he just, if you know Bill, he's a hard worker and he gets stuff done. And um, he got it done, for sure. So this year we are, yeah. Bill also figured out how to make the thing, how to make the mission work, and um, we plan on using his formula of success going forward. So this year we're going to put together 1,200 lunches uh, for the homeless in uh, Detroit through Central United Methodist Church that's located there. Um, I'm not going to go into all the details. Most of us are are well familiar with it, but I did just kind of want to point out a couple points. Um, you know, 2021 through 2022, uh, homeless in Detroit has actually increased. Um, that's, it's heartbreaking. You'd think that, you know, our efforts, other churches' efforts, just people in general would be making that number decline, and it hasn't been. In 2021, Feeding America had, um, had ranked Detroit as the most food insecure city in America. So that the first time it was number one. So through our efforts, we hope that, you know, we're doing our part um, to help bring that number down. And, uh, you know, the way that, that we've been called to do it is to help with Noah's lunches. So last uh, December, we had taken our lunches down to the church there in Detroit. And um, I had a a earth, uh, an earth, a God awakening moment there. And that was in that I was help. So what happens is when you take the lunches down there, first of all, you pull into the parking lot early in the morning to deliver the lunches. And it's kind of uh, hits you right in the face there. You see a lot of people lined up, um, homeless people lined up waiting to receive their lunches to go inside the building when they open for a nice warm um, prepackaged meal, right? So you, you, you know, you walk through the, through the people, you knock on the door, um, which is just, you know, there's a lot of emotion in that. And then they come out and they bring carts out to your vehicle and you start helping them load the lunches into the cart so they can take them into the building. And um, I wanted to make sure that I experienced that, um, especially if Megan and I are going to be leading it. I think it was important that I, I was there. And something that happened was as I was standing there in the parking lot watching this all, you know, watching everybody load the, the lunches into the, into the cart, 
I noticed out of the corner of my eye, there was a gentleman who was, um, who was walking up to us very quickly. And his posture kind of put me on edge a little bit. He had his hands in his pocket, kind of hunched over, and he was walking very quickly towards us. And um, it caught my attention, and I didn't know what was going to happen. But he, when he got to the cart of food, he threw his hands out, he slammed his hands down into the, to the crate of lunches, and he took out four bags. And he turned around, and he started to run away. He had about two steps, and he stopped. And he went from a sprinting stance to almost like a, I don't know how to explain it, like almost defeat posture. And he turned around, and tears were coming out of his eyes. He said, are these, is this food? And the, one of the uh, central UMC helpers turned to him and said, yeah. And he just, there was just this look of relief on his face, but also sadness. And he turned around and walked away with the lunches. You know, and it, it's a shame because, obviously it's a shame, but that's what makes this Noah's lunches so great is people who don't have food, homeless, food insecure people, they can, they can go to that church. They can get one of our lunches. There's no obligation. They just have to, they just have to go, and take, go in and, and take one. Um, for me, that's something I have never experienced in my long uh, 10 years of, of working on gathering food for people. And that's something that God put in my heart, and I will always remember. John, Pastor John had uh, talked about, you know, the rugs. Just looking around the rugs. I wonder what went into making that, that rug. Well, I look at our pantry when we empty it out every couple months, and I look at all the food that we didn't eat, and I think to myself, man, that really could have been somebody's, you know, only meal for the day. So... Anyway, March 11th is our deadline for, for bringing any of the donations out beyond the doors. You'll see a table that has a magenta tablecloth on it with little slips of reminders. Um, we need applesauces, cookies, crackers, a lot. We also need volunteers to come and actually put together the sandwiches. Turkey, ham, cheese, um, and that'll take place on the 12th. So. I challenge you to go ahead and take a, a donation. Make sure you get your donations back here to the, to the building uh, before the 11th. If you feel moved to actually put the sandwiches together, we can use all the help we can get with that. And then, um, and if, if you want to go down, you want to deliver these lunches to Central, we are, you know, we'd love for you to do that as well. If you want to go and you want to see it for yourself, you want to see the building, you want to see all the, all the support and love God is pouring into that building and this mission, come see myself, come see Megan, and we'll make sure it happens. So thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Charles and Megan, for your leadership and for sharing your passion with all of us. We've come to a time in the service where we have an opportunity to respond to God's good word in our midst, and there are many ways to do that. One of the ways that folks have done that over the years is by helping us coordinate our hospitality hours. Some of you may know that Donna Dybert has done that for a number of years here at the church, and she shared with us 
uh, just recently that she's going to have to take a, a hiatus from doing that. If you are interested in serving, that's one of the ways that we can respond to God's word in our midst. One of the big needs that we'll have is somebody that's willing to step up, not necessarily to do it on a weekly basis, but to help us coordinate our efforts to have cookies and, and coffee. If you feel called to do that, if that's a gift that you feel like God has given you, just like God gave Megan and Charles the gift of wanting to feed hungry people in this way, uh, please come talk to me after the service. We would love to plug you into that ministry in that way. Um, but the other way that we can respond to God's good word in our midst is through the giving of our tithes and offerings. If this is your first Sunday with us, please feel no obligation to give. Your presence in and of itself is a gift, and we're grateful for it. If this is your spiritual home, we invite you to give generously so that this uh, church's ministry can continue to be a blessing to others. Would the ushers please come forward and help us receive this morning's offering? song was not in the bulletin. This is a song that we had prepared for Ash Wednesday, and so we thought we would sing it for you now. It's called Amazing Grace, Eternal Life.
Dear Lord, Jesus, you have given us the ultimate gift of your life, your love, and your mercy. In gratitude, we bring our humble offerings to the table of the Lord, bless them, and use them to build your kingdom. Amen. Well, as we close out this time of worship, because of the inclement weather earlier this week on Wednesday, some of you may be aware that we um, had to cancel our in-person Ash Wednesday service. If you, uh, as, a, as a sense of your spiritual practice in the beginning of Lent, feel like you missed receiving those ashes, you want to receive them, just come find me after the service. I would be happy to ash you, if that's a verb, and you can receive your ashes as the beginning of your Lenten journey. And if that's not something that you, you covet, um, we totally respect and appreciate that, but we do have ashes in the back that we would be happy to share with you. Suffice it to say, let our benediction this be this today. I have been and always will be your dearest friend. Live long and prosper. Go in the name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us go loving and serving the Lord. Amen. We are so glad you worshiped with us. We are a church that strives to know God, love God, and serve God. You were invited into this mission by worshiping, joining one or more small groups, sharing prayer requests, and becoming part of the community. We are one church with two locations. The Whitmore Lake Campus is located at the corner of Main Street and East Shore Drive at 9318 Main Street in Whitmore Lake, Michigan. The Brighton Campus is located at the intersection of Brighton Lake Road and Grand River Avenue at 400 East Grand River Avenue in Brighton, Michigan. Please visit us online at brightonfumc.org for details about in-person worship at both of our two locations. We hope you were blessed by this worship. Please click the like button, subscribe to our channel, share this video, and join us again next week.